0: okay we're live coach did you ever think a couple years ago that we'd be hopping back and forth on each other's podcasts
1: no this is definitely nothing that was in my wildest imagination uh you know this was an epiphany i had one day to they give it a try and as we've talked before is a way for me to honor one of my best friends who tragically passed last year and uh, just decided to go outside my comfort zone just like we tell our players all the time be comfortable being uncomfortable so here I am.
0: Love it love it and so how long ago exactly do you start the podcast?
1: Started uh, last year in September so a little over a year ago um, I probably researched it for maybe two months prior to that. So I'm definitely a novice.
0: Hey, I mean, you got a lot more experience than I do a year, a whole year under your belt. That's like, that's pretty good. I mean, I saw this stat. It was like, uh, most podcasts don't make it past the third episode, like 95% of podcasts don't make it past episode three. So if you can make it a year, like you're doing something right, um, was there, ever, was there ever a point for you where you were like second guessing it? Like, what am I doing?
1: Oh yeah, so it was actually funny because in my research of podcasts come across imposter syndrome, which is a pretty well-known term, but I was never aware of imposter syndrome. And I don't know if just because all those years of myself being an athlete and just being taught by my coaches to believe in myself, I never even was aware of that term. So now I'm reading about imposter syndrome. And then when I started my own podcast, Wow. Like that's a real thing. And no one likes listening to their own voice, but you combine that with the fact of questioning, do I really bring value to people's lives? Do I really know what I'm talking about? So it still is a struggle. I've done over 60 episodes and, uh, I have more downloads than I ever would have imagined I would have had. And I've gotten tons of positive feedback. I've met people from all over the United States, which is really cool. But I still question, am I really bringing any value to anyone's life? Does anyone even care about the things that I'm talking about? And I definitely still can't get over listening to my own voice. It makes me cringe still.
0: <laughs> That's refreshing that you say that because I'm like 15 episodes in recording wise. And every time I go back to like, listen, like it's like, oh my gosh, I, I do not like hearing this sound in my own voice. But at the same time, it's like. It's like watching game film. That's kind of how I have been thinking about it because let's say like you look back at a game and you had a really good game. Like that's going to be a fun film session to watch. But if you look back at like a bad game, it's hard to watch, but that's even more important that you do watch it because then you learn from your mistakes. And so I feel like through 15 episodes or so, like my conversational skills are even starting to improve. Um, Just where I was like the first episode and then you listen back to your voice. You're like, I shouldn't have stuttered there. I shouldn't have said like there. And so you can kind of improve upon that through um basically analyzing yourself.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I studied communications and English in college. I'm an English teacher. Taught public speaking courses, being a coach, I have to get in front of a lot of people, and this process has challenged my own skill set of being able to speak and you're right. You, you look at what you have to say on these podcasts and you're looking at the And man, did I really use those fillers that often? Do I really use the word like that often? And I've always been hurt. I've always been told that I have a very distinct Chicago accent and going back and listening to this podcast. And when I interview people who are not from the Chicagoland area, now I'm starting to also understand that we really do have a Chicagoland accent. So uh, there's no doubt that this is making my skill set as a speaker improve, and hopefully, I can hone my own skills through this process as well.
0: Totally, and like I'm just thinking about it from your perspective, this podcast is almost kind of like an extension of your reach with coaching, because I feel like as a coach, like you're really influencing young people, and through this podcast, you're just expanding that reach. Was that like? a big driving factor in deciding to start it just to have influence over more people.
1: So uh, a big influencer for me was there's a lot of disenchantment right now with teachers and coaches for a multitude of reasons and more than we could cover in this short amount of time. But a lot of teachers and coaches who enter the profession to impact lives are feeling like they're kind of spinning their wheels in mud a little bit. And many times it's for reasons out of their control. So we're losing a lot of great people who could change someone's lives because they feel like they can't do it anymore, that their mission is now a lost cause. And, uh, you know, I got kind of caught up in that a little bit as well, as you know, I was your coach and I stepped away from the profession for a few years. Mine was more family related, uh, cause it's really tough to be a husband and a father and be a head football coach too. So I felt like I was just failing miserably. I felt like I was doing both just okay. I wasn't doing a great job coaching. I wasn't doing a great job being a father and a husband. So I too had a press pause because I too felt like, man, I don't know if I'm getting anywhere with this. I don't know if my mission has come to fruition here of what I really wanted to do as a coach. So I mentioned my friend tragically passing and, uh, you know, we're at his funeral And a bunch of my old players came up to me and talked about all of these lessons that my coaching staff taught them. And now here they are as grown men and they take that into their life. And I was like, wow. And I was sitting back talking with my wife saying, it's pretty clear that I'm not wasting my time. And we got to kind of reframe our mind to think about, you know, not, it's more like quality over quantity, right? Am I reaching? 5,000 people, or am I reaching five people? Because if I reach five people in my career, that's a pretty fulfilling life right there. So that's where this whole podcast kind of came about. I said, you know, there's a lot of teachers and coaches out there that feel like I do. Maybe this could be a platform to move the needle for a few of them. Like I said, maybe five of them that say, wait a minute, I am making a difference. I do matter. People do need to keep hearing the message. And I am impacting kids' lives. And that's why I did this. And I make it very clear. I don't not have an agenda. I'm not trying to be the next Joe Rogan. This is not going to be my profession. I'm not trying to make any money off it. By the way, I do not make any money off it whatsoever. I lose money doing it. But I'm just hoping that I could keep some great people in the profession. Because you know from being an athlete yourself, like we need great coaches. We need great mentors. Because I'm tired of turning on the news and hearing about all of the bad in life. So if we could have more people spreading positive notes to our young, our future, then, hey, maybe it is worthwhile for me to happen to listen to my cringy voice and all of my fillers in these podcasts. And yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And I'll I'll also tell you, Jack, selfishly, this helps me a lot too, because it helps to reframe and bring me back to my why. So when I'm talking to people and I'm talking to other coaches, I have to challenge myself sometimes and think about the, my answers to my own questions. And it's really helped me stay motivated in my career and to just kind of keep fighting the negativity that seems to be taking over our world a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that's an awesome answer. And I totally agree with so much of what you said, especially with that last part of like these conversations force you to like challenge your own thinking and question your own thinking. Um, and they also just push you outside your comfort zone a little bit. Like the conversations I've had over the past couple of weeks with some of these like really smart people, like really high achieving people. Like I talked to this guy who lost 150 pounds and he's running ultra marathons and jumping out of airplanes. And it kind of puts things in perspective. Like I'm complaining about like going on a couple mile run but like there's people out there doing all these crazy things. And so I take inspiration by talking to them. And then um, another thing that I really liked that you said was at your funeral, how grown men were still using their lessons from high school football. And that's such an interesting point because I mean, I still think about a lot of the lessons that you taught us or even like, especially coach Andreola, like that guy's lessons i'm sure they'll carry with me for the rest of the, rest of my life um i actually wrote like i actually wrote a newsletter about it one time like four extremely wise words from a high school football coach and 3 years after being removed from it i haven't talked to coach andriola in a while um those words still resonated in my head so maybe the, like the impact isn't always seen right away especially when like high school kids they hear the words but They might not really understand what they mean, but once they, once we grow up and mature and enter like the real world, then we kind of look back and realize like, yeah, football was awesome, but it was the lessons that came from it that were really important. Like the game was just a medium for life. Like it's a microcosm of life. Um, And that's why I love it so much. So I kind of wanted to get into that topic. So obviously, my senior year, so 2019, you decided to to step away from coaching for a couple years. What sparked you to get back into it?
1: Yeah, so first, let me touch upon what we brought about Coach Andriola. I did get to read that newsletter. It was a phenom- phenomenal job honoring Coach Andriola there because he had such simplicity, yet powerful thoughts. And you stop and you think about it and say, that is so true, And there's a great poem that, you know, all I ever really needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. I don't know if you ever read that before, but that is so, take it out, go and take a look at that poem because it's so true because we complicate life so much the older that we get. But if you really get down to the essentials, it's pretty simple, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated, be respectful, be on time, you know, like all these things that you're taught at a very young age that for some reason seem to dissipate as things like mortgages and jobs and titles start getting in the way of it all. Right. But at its very core, it's very simple. And that's where coach Andriola hits the nail on the head right there. Yeah. And as far as, you know, what kind of brought me back to it again, it goes back to the tragedy and I'm sitting in, his, in my buddy's funeral and I'm like, Holy cow, you know, like he went to bed one night and didn't wake up and he was 41 years old with two young kids feeling fine you know, and just went to bed and literally didn't wake up. And think about yourself. How many times your coaches have told you play like this is your last play. You've heard that one before, right? Many times. Yeah, exactly. And we don't even know we throw it out as coaches, but we don't even understand the, the gravity of that statement. Right. Mm-hmm. And here's one of my good friends that it actually happened. And to, to be sitting here, think about, man, like, am I really living a fulfilled life? Can I make more money doing something else? Absolutely, I can make more money. Can I have a better lifestyle? Not coaching, A 100% I can. But I thought about if I was to go to bed and not wake up and my kids are sitting at my funeral, are they gonna be so proud to say, my dad was a great real estate investor? Or are they gonna be proud to be sitting at the funeral and have former players come up and hug them and say, your dad changed my life. And that kind of motivated me to say, wait a minute, what are are we really doing here? You know, and um, I can't let the negative part of the job drive me out of the positive impact that I could possibly have. And like we talked about before we hit record with your podcast, you can't worry about how many downloads you have. As a coach, you can't worry about how many wins that you have, because is it ever enough You know, like is is Nick Saban ever gonna be fulfilled and say, okay, I had enough wins, it's good enough. No way, man, you're never gonna be fulfilled. If you're a competitor, you want to win, 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 win. So you have to take those external quantitative aspects of winning, for example, out of the equation and just say, this is what I really want it to be about, right? So the fact that here you and I are still talking how many years later, like that's the stuff that matters. That's true, authentic, human interaction. Right. And hopefully you and I stay lifelong friends and that should be notches on my belt. That should be my wins right there, rather than if I actually played in a state championship game or not. So, uh, I had to step away because of family reasons, but I also had to step away because I was losing perspective. I was too worried about winning. And I know it sounds like a contradiction because that's my job, but is that really my job? Is my job really winning? You know, I don't think it is. So I was able to just kind of rethink and go back to when I first started getting into this business when I was 22 years old. And unfortunately, tragedy brought me back there. But it really, really did bring me back to some peace and brought me back to some clarity in my own life of I'm not going to make it about the wins. I'm not. Do I want to win? Hell yeah. If I lose, am I upset? Absolutely. But I don't like losing a video game to my son. I mean, who likes to lose? But I have done such a better job of perspective, of waking up the next day and being like, you know what? it's just high school football. Now, the challenge is, can we get the other adults to think that way? You know, the parents and the fans, because the kids are awesome. I mean, you know yourself. I mean, when we lost that really tough state championship game, I mean, I remember on the bus ride home, I I mean, we're okay. Right. Like you guys were upset, but it also wasn't the end of the world. And I think adults can learn a lot from younger people in these situations that at the end of the day, it is just a game, and let's think of that larger uh, larger picture. So the, the, to summarize that long answer, it's keeping my eye on the main thing, and the main thing is people and human relationships and hopefully lifelong friendships. And if I could have that throughout the next 20
0: years of my career, in my opinion, I'd be the most successful football coach out there. That's awesome. And I think like that last definition of success is so interesting because obviously if you just define success by winning and losing, like, yeah, Nick Saban's the most successful coach ever. But if you define sex success by the relationships that you create and the lives you impact, you might have a bigger impact than Nick Saban. Like it's all comes down to your perspective. And it is very interesting how through that tragedy, you were able to gain that new perspective. And I think that's what often happens is like sometimes at these lowest points in our life, we're able to just take a step back and reevaluate. I know that happened a lot for me um, with some of the injuries and stuff. So I, I totally understand that. Um,
1: yeah. And I remember you saying with your injury, when you were thinking about possibly stepping away, I remember you saying to me that your identity was tied up when, with you as an athlete. And yeah. that's exactly where I lost it. I mean, I think so many of us battle that, especially in the realm of sports. And that's why you see these athletes when they retire, whenever it may be, it could be their senior year in high school. It could be when they're 25 and leaving a professional sport, they don't know what to do, right? Because their whole life has just been enveloped in this identity as athlete or coach. And that's what I'm striving really hard to do. And that's what the the tragedy that I went through with my best friend like, yeah. Like when people got up and you eulogized him and I was one of those people, that got to do that. Nobody talked about wins and losses. Nobody, nobody. So that's all the evidence that I needed to hear right there. That at the end of the day, what my coaching record is and how many kids get division one scholarships, is that really what matters? Absolutely not.
0: Exactly. And the identity piece is so huge. Like, when you're a kid and growing up and all you care about is sports and then I'm sure for you like getting right into coaching like your entire identity is always around sports but when you take a step back like it's actually such a small part it's it's what you do but it's not who you are it's just the way you express who you are and so for me like taking a step back and not playing football anymore has been the greatest thing ever because it's allowed me to find these new parts of my personality that I never knew existed um and I'm sure like you taking a step back away from football like you definitely gained some perspective on who you were as a person as a father as a husband I'm sure um and so I I kind of I was going through your Twitter I was stalking your Twitter before this because I know we're both kind of active on Twitter and your pinned tweet is you saying last year on November 17th so actually Happy late birthday. I didn't wish you a happy birthday. Um, what the heck? I was
1: waiting I for that, Jack. Nah, two
0: days ago, uh, happy 47th birthday. Um, I'll have to put that in my calendar every year, so it's a reminder. I won't <laughs> miss it next year. Um, but you have that tweet from a year ago today about, and you said, I haven't done anything yet, so I made this deal with myself. This is the year I make my mark. And so what was the driving factor in that tweet? Was it football or was it more?
1: So that quote comes out of a movie from the eighties called vision quest. And I don't know if you've seen that movie. You probably haven't, but I recommend that you do. And vision quest is about this high school wrestler who's going into his senior year and he's a clear cut favorite to win state, but he decides going to a senior year that he's going to drop two weight classes because he wants to wrestle this other guy that has not lost in three years. And everybody told him he's crazy. What, first of all, you're crazy because this guy's gonna kill you. No one's ever come close to beating this guy. Secondly, why would you give up the opportunity to win state at your weight class and possibly college scholarships? And it was just because of the fact that nobody wanted to wrestle this guy. That's why he wanted to do it. He wanted to be the one guy, to say, I'm gonna, I want to wrestle him. I'm not afraid to wrestle him. And the movie opens up with that quote, and I just changed it into obviously for me. And that's when I knew I was taking uh, the St. the St. patch job where I'm at right now. And it was before I was announced as a head coach. And part of why I decided to do it was because again, I just felt like this is a way for me to really make an impact. Who cares what my previous stops or my previous records were or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter. What matters is here's a school that I went to that really helped me out through a very tough time in my life in high school. And it was the coaches and the teachers in that building that, that helped me through that. And now they came calling asking for my help to help rebuild the program and to help rebuild the school and to help with this whole new rebranding that we're going through. Because all of those teachers and coaches that helped me, many of them have passed on now and they're now looking down. I'm saying, what better way to show them and to show the, the remaining parts of their family that they did impact me and to take on this job that many people would say, what the heck are you thinking, right? There's so many better jobs that I could have taken, but I chose to take this one because of that impact. I think I potentially can make. And I also that competitive side of me, just like that wrestler, like nobody will want this job, right? Given all the difficulties around it, just like nobody would want to go wrestle, shoot in vision quest, but loud and Swain decided I am going to be the one to do it. And I don't care how many people tell me I'm crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on my path. I'm going to give it my best shot because why not? This is the year I'm going to make my mark. So that's, that's my tweet. That's the explanation to it. I leave it pinned there more so to remind myself when things get tough, why I took this job on.
0: That's that's badass right there. I love that explanation Um, because just thinking about it from like a foot purely football perspective like it's one thing to go right into Lake Zurich like an established program culture like the whole school revolves around the football program and it, we've already been a very good team and to step in there and like you can just do the job as a coach but from Saint, a St. Pat's perspective a program that needs a little bit more rebuilding you have to take this bigger role on you have to change the entire culture change the entire identity of the school get kids who their freshman year they weren't planning on doing 6am workouts in the winter you have to make that a habit you have to literally change the entire identity of the school and so I'm curious like your philosophy about that over the first year like what is the most important thing to change when rebuilding a program like this
1: that's a great question. Uh, man, there's so many things that are, are popping into my head. And again, this, this is great to do these podcasts because it makes me to really challenge my why in all of this. So this is a phenomenal question you asked. I, I think that the most important thing though is to help everybody in the program. And I'm talking myself, my coaches, my players, my parents, my administration, that the success or lack of success we have on the field cannot dictate the overall mission. And I think that's the most important thing. The reality is, is we play in arguably the toughest conference in the entire country, right? I mean, everybody is good. It's like being the SEC and there is no time to take a breath. So the reality is, is we could do everything the right way. We could check every box that you're supposed to check in terms of being a great program. And we still could have failing results on the field but we can't let that dictate the fact that we still were successful because the success comes through the process. And that's the biggest thing I need everyone to understand where I'm at now. Like it's the steps we take to being a winner. And I tell them that all the time, if you want to win, you have to win all the time. There is no sometimes winning. I can't just go win on the field and go fail in the classroom and go fail at home and go fail as a boyfriend and fail as a son. It doesn't work. I, I really, I truly believe that eventually karma wins out. So getting everybody in my program to understand that we have to first behave like a winner. We have to do the things that winners do show up on time, be respectful, look the part, you know, um, care about every single detail that's attached to our name because it's our name right? Like, I don't agree with the whole philosophy, play for a name on the front, not the name on the back. I, I disagree with that. That name on the back means everything to me, because that name was passed on to me from my dad, who I'm so lucky to have the dad that I have. And I'm so lucky to have the grandparents that I have. And I'm so proud of the Merton's name, that I want to make sure that I'm going to pass it on to my kids better than the way that it was passed on to me. So I do think that name on the back really matters. So if you're a winner, everything that you do that's attached to your name, matters and you want to win at it all so that is by far the biggest challenge i have is making everybody understand that the results on the field will eventually come it may not come for 10 years but it's going to eventually going to come and you have to be patient with that because honestly sometimes winning and losing is partially luck right i mean we we know that that your sophomore year went 13 to one like that one loss was it because we just got dominated because we weren't the better team no like just some things didn't go our way right i mean combination of bad calls by coaches, bad calls by refs and bad luck. That's what happens. Right. But it doesn't change the fact that there were still a lot of successes throughout that year. Right. A lot of things to be proud of. So that's, that's the, the big scope of what I'm trying to make everybody understand is
0: go be a winner all the time. I love that philosophy. And now thinking back to when you first came in my sophomore year, that year we did go to state like, those little things that you harped on so much that so many people were so annoyed with. And to be completely transparent, like that's how a lot of people felt. So like, to give everybody an example, for our 6am lifts, everybody had to be wearing the exact same thing every time. And people were pissed about that. But (laughs) They still are. I still have people mad at
1: me about that.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they are. But it's about the process of behaving like a winning team would. A winning team would just do that without caring. They would just do it because it's who they are. And I remember we were talking about this a little bit in our last podcast about, like, faking it till you make it almost. And I think this is kind of the same thing. Like, in order to become a winning team, you have to act like this winning team would. And- And you do that by committing to the daily habits and daily processes. The winning on the field is a side effect. That's why I've like totally reframed my goal setting perspective to process oriented goals. So like last spring, I I had the goal of I always had a goal of like getting straight A's in school, but I never could get them. But then I reframe that to like, okay, what would somebody who gets straight A's do every day? They would study for this amount of time, they would put all their tasks in Google calendar, et cetera, et cetera. So like once you commit to the processes, then the straight A's took care of themselves. And it's the same thing with football. It's the same thing with running, with lifting. It's just like focusing on what you can do on a daily basis. And then it compounds over time. So I love that.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. And nobody wants to talk about the process though. We all want to go to the game on Friday night and criticize the coach for bad play calling or criticize the ref for the decisions that he or she is making when really the, the game is decided way before that the game is decided in no 6.00 AM workouts. Cause here's the thing. We all say we want to win. We all say we want to be successful. We all say we want to make a lot of money. We all want to make an impact, but are you really committed to do the things that it takes because very few people are Jack, you know, that as well as I do, right? I mean, you're in an ultra competitive environment at Northwestern. Like those are some of the smartest and brightest people in the world. Like you get to see greatness around you and how people approach the classroom and how they approach learning, you know? So everybody says that they want to do all these great things, but are they willing to wear the shirt that you're asked to wear and be on time and ready to go at 6 a.m., right? And if you remember, I purposely do odd things. Like I'll say, all right, guys, everybody in the gym at 557. Now, that seems odd to people like, why the hell does he care? I mean, I even have coaches. Why don't you just have him in at six? Because think about the detail we're asking our players. If they could be there at 557 and make that a habit, I know I could trust them that come 6 a.m. They're really going to get going, right? So it really does matter. And you're right about the fake it till you make it. Like, you want to be Alabama, go behave like Alabama, right? Like walk around like you are the winner, behave like you're the winner, have your shirt tucked in, have your homework done on time, you know, keep your room clean, make your bed, which is a great book. If you haven't read that yet, like all those things really matter how you're, I tell all of my teams, I ever coach, I told you guys too. Whenever I go to an opponent's away game, I walk in that locker room. I know everything I need to know about that school, just based on how that locker room looks. And this is all stuff that nobody wants to talk about, right? And get they want to sit and talk about the bad play call while we run and toss into the boundary on third and two, like that doesn't matter. Are our players willing to keep the locker room clean? Are they willing to have A's and B's, which let's be honest, especially in high school. I mean, there's exceptions, every rule, as long as you are willing to work, you could be an A and B student in high school, right? I mean, getting C's D's and F's that's a choice. And it's usually a choice of laziness. So those are all the things of the process that nobody knows, nobody sees, and nobody wants to talk about because we're such a results driven society. That's why things like Amazon are so big, Like, right? Kid, people want something, boom, go on Amazon, just get it. And it's getting worse and worse and worse.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I think going off that last point, like the, our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I noticed that like when I'm scrolling social media too much or like eating not like great quality food, eating fast food, like my attention span and drive is so much worse. But like this morning, I did something that I knew would delay that gratification and really like test my attention span. So like I went on a a six mile run, like with no inputs, like no music. So you're just kind of there with your thoughts. And do, doing those things, doing those hard things forces you to, like, recalibrate that attention span. And I feel like it's even harder for kids now in high school, like, the more and more social media gets prevalent. Like, you can scroll TikTok and every five seconds have a new video. So why would you want to get in the weight room at 6 a.m. and commit to it? So it, it's, this, it's this, like, ever-changing balance. Um, but I And think- that's
1: why, that's why fo- sports like football and wrestling, that's why numbers are declining. We want to talk about concussions. That's not the, is that part of the problem? Well, yeah, that is. But having been a part of that sport my whole life, parents have always been afraid of the violence of football and rightfully so. It's a violent sport. Let's not kid ourselves. But it's all of the things that's required to play football. That is not in alignment with kids today. I mean, think about the fact that, and you played basketball, you could play basketball all year and think about what it takes to be good in basketball. Right. I'm not saying it's easy, but you get to play basketball to get good in basketball. Free throws, jump shots, dribbling, right? How do you get in foot get good in football? Weight room at five in the morning when it's cold and dark outside and you're power cleaning. It's such a unique thing. Like you get better at football by things that aren't football related. And I don't think people have the grit. A lot of people don't have the grit to do that. And I think that's the biggest challenge with football because. I don't want football to change. I think that those are all the things that make football so special. It's why I want to be a part of the sport. It's why I want my son to be a part of the sport because you're asked to be so uncomfortable. Power cleaning at six in the morning is so uncomfortable. Practicing your three-point shot in the gym is comfortable. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's comfortable. It's what you're used to doing, right? Getting in a batting cage is what you're used to doing. And to have to do those things and the demands of it, I just think it's uh, it, it's just phenomenal. And those are those life lessons that that football teaches you. And again, every sport teaches you life lessons. I'm not here to say they don't. I'm just saying it's just very unique of what football teaches you, but it's completely opposite of what's going on in society today.
0: Definitely. And I think a really cool thing to maintain perspective about about this, especially if you're like, a young kid, young high school player, like more and more kids are not going to want to put in these hours and this hard work. So you can separate yourself so easily. If you just take what 99% of people are doing and do the opposite, because every kid on the high school football team wants to be the star player, go play division one football, et cetera, et cetera. Winners and losers have the same goals. It's just the difference is the daily habits that they're going to take to get there. So as a young high school player, like if you're able to commit to these uncomfortable actions for four years, success is inevitable, and it's kind of what we're talking about, like process versus results. Like you're gonna become that player who's the star player on Friday nights by committing to these processes. And I was actually at the Lake Zurich game last night. Um, they played in the semis against Batavia, actually. Um, so that of course. was I know I actually <laughs> drove there with one of my friends from Northwestern he was a linebacker on that Batavia team. He went to play here and now we both don't play. So we've become decent, good friends. Um, And his little brother plays in Batavia. So went to that game. That was like some flashback memories. But my point was there's this kid on Lake Zurich, Tyler Erkman. Do you remember Tyler? Oh
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. I talked to his dad all the time. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I'm, me and Tyler Ramez, one of my really good friends were talking about this the other day. Like, when we were training in the off season, like we, we we used to go to this guy named John Janis, who coaches at Conant, played at Lake Zurich, et cetera. And we used to go train with him like a couple of days a week in the off season to try to get better, like sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. This kid, Tyler Erkman, would be training with us in seventh, eighth grade. And we're high we're the big varsity kids. And like, he's just this little eighth grader who we're like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's pretty talented. Like, I wonder how good he'll be. And now we we were talking about it last night at the game, like because this kid committed to these daily processes for years, for six years, when nobody else his age was doing it, now he's the best player on the team. Now he has a Division one scholarship. And we were saying, like, he's probably better than anybody on our team because he put himself in that uncomfortable environment where, yeah, he was like this little scrawny seventh grader trying to keep up with, like, us juniors, like varsity players. And now when he's a senior, like he's the man. So that was such a cool thing to realize. Like if you, if you can just commit to these processes, like the type of person you can become, not just in football, in anything, in life, like the potential is limitless.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how we try to shortcut success. So we'll look at, let's keep staying on that motif of great football teams and we just like oh well you know mont carmel's good because they recruit like really we're just going to minimize their greatness just because they recruit it's as simple as that that's the only reason they're they're great like and and that really in my opinion undercuts all of the hard work that those coaches and those players and those parents have to drive their kids to 5 a.m lifting are really putting in right and that really frustrates me. Or like you brought up Tyler Erkman, like people look at back, like, man, that kid's such a good player and man, he's fast. He's strong. Like, yeah, he is. But you're right, Jack. Nobody, re- nobody remembers when he was at the Lake Zurich flames in sixth grade, just yeah. working with Joey Stutzman, just because he was so driven to be great. Instead we just go, Oh man, Lake Zurich, gets such great players. Like that's what people say. Oh, Lake Zurich just gets great players. Like this, like you guys just, you know, Fell from the sky and suddenly you were good, and they dismiss all the hard work that you guys put into it, right? Like, you know, Joey Stutzman, uh, you know that that name just sticks out with me because you think about how hard that guy played. Like, you know, people don't realize how hard he worked every day in practice. Like, I remember him being injured and be like, "Hey, you're out this practice," and somehow he'd end up fully padded in the drill, and I would like have to pull him out of daily practice. How many people are really like that? You know, most people like, oh, I get a day off of practice. Heck yeah, man, I'm good. Like, let me take that day off. So, in general, we just we love to shortcut people's successes because you know why? In my opinion, we don't want to have to look ourselves in the mirror and say I could be that too, but I have chosen an easier path. So instead, we like to look for excuses and be like, oh well, you know, these kids at Northwestern, you're just born smart. That's why they're at Northwestern, right? Like. And and don't want to admit that maybe they put in a little bit more time in the classroom than you did, right? Like, think about all these private lessons that we give athletes as you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade athletes. If so you all these private pitching and throwing and all these private shooting lessons, imagine if we put that same energy into the into our minds, right? Like how successful our country would be academically. So my whole point is like, whatever you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And I don't, and the, the formula has been the same forever from the beginning of time. Right? Like why were the Spartans, the Spartans, the greatest warriors of all time, because that's all they did. They woke up and they fought, right? They figured out how to hone their fighting skills from the time they woke up to the time they went to sleep. Right? So uh, the more we could do that, the better we're all going to be, but man, it's hard. Again, it comes back to that process. Like, The process is so hard. It's so unrewarding, but you have to have that grit to just keep going through that process because that's ultimately going to get you the results.
0: Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, like these conversations force us to reevaluate like our own thoughts in our head. Like, this is why I love doing it because now you bring up, Joey Stutzman and like that dude's work ethic. I mean, that's the reason I switched to number six. Like when I was my senior junior and senior year, because I was like, I will never be able to be as tough as this guy, but I can at least try. Because I always felt like in my head, like I was kind of a soft player. I was always like this quarterback growing up. I never really felt like the physicality of the game. And so I saw this guy, this kid, Joey Stutzman, and his shoulders would be falling out of socket like every practice, but he didn't give a shit. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not like that. I'm not that type of like dude but I can at least try and be like him and take inspiration from him and that's what I think is so inspiring about looking to like looking to these people in society like even like a Joey Stutzman like doing these things like we can take inspiration into our own daily lives. I was looking on Instagram and Joey Stutzman won the conference player of the year like his senior year at lacrosse and like this is a five foot five dude running back, like should never be in a position to do this, but he's just the grittiest dude ever. So it's so inspiring to see. And it's not surprising.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just a choice. Like you talked about playing with your arm hanging off. Like that is a choice, you know, we're all tough enough to do it. We really are like this narrative that the older generations are tougher than we are. Like, no, I mean, it's just, we have some definitely have some more comforts in life there's no question about that but toughness and grit in my opinion is a choice and you know you have those two paths unfortunately as human beings we are wired to take the easier path i mean that's just the way we all are so you have to rewire your your mindset to to choose the tougher path because the tougher
0: path on the other side of the tougher path is usually success exactly and I'm thinking of another thing I wrote this past week. Um, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but it was called the uphill decision razor. So like a razor is a like rule of thumb to help you make better decisions in your life rather than just kind of floating around and going off gut instinct. So the uphill decision razor is when faced with two decisions, choose the one that is harder in the short term. Harder in the short term makes the long term easier. Going to the gym, eating healthy and committing to sleeping more are hard decisions in the present moment. But committing to these actions will help us have easier lives when you're 60 years old and you can still move around and play with your kids and grandkids. But easier in the short term, like laying around, eating fast food, watching Netflix, like it feels nice in the short term. It's very comfortable and pleasuring. But in the long run, you're going to be 60 years old and not be able to move. So hard choices. It's I love this. Like, it's a really easy quote. It's like, Hard choices, easy life, easy choices, hard life. And this is such a good reminder for me because over these past couple of weeks, like I fluctuate a bit. Like there's days where I feel softer and I end up feeling shittier because of it. But like this morning, I made the hard choice to get up and run six miles in the 15 degree weather. And I feel amazing afterwards. Like I, maybe I shouldn't like boast about it, but I feel, I feel really good now, like hopping on this podcast like having a productive morning, but it would have been easier for me to go out last night and like have 10 beers and get fucked up and wake up at 11 AM today. So I, I love this whole theme about like doing the uncomfortable work. And that's something you instilled in us from when I was 16 years old. Cause
1: uncomfortable is how you get there, wherever there may be, you know, I mean, why is the lottery so popular? Why is gambling so popular? Cause everybody's looking for the shortcut and, Statistically speaking, the shortcut's just not there. And it's been proven throughout the history of time that it's not. But it's amazing how we as human beings continually try to find the shortcut, despite the fact that history has proven us that there is no shortcut. You have to take the stairs.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, that is awesome. So I'm curious, like going off this, making hard decisions every single day. What is something you do to like keep yourself mentally mentally tough and mentally hard on a daily basis?
1: Um, You know, first I'll tell you this, Jack, I don't know if I am mentally tough. I like to think that I am. I, I try to work on that skill and be intentional with it. For example, I get up before work and I work out and I'm not, again, just like you said, I'm not, I'm not throwing us out there to be boastful, but I get up at 430, 440 and I work out before school. And I'm not going to lie, by 10 a.m., I'm exhausted, man. I'm hitting my second, third cup of coffee by 10 a.m. You know, by 5 p.m., I'm like, I'm spent, you know. But I just feel like the more that I force myself to do that, as you said, the more likely I'm going to be able to play with my grandkids when I'm 65 years old and the more fulfilled my life is going to be. Because here's what I do know. When I choose to hit snooze, I'm never happy about it two hours later. I have never once in my life said, Man, am I so glad that I hit snooze? So there's the evidence to me, and also it's one thing I also love about my profession is I believe that we need to walk the walk, right and not many coaches do like let's be honest I mean, you've been an athlete, three sport athlete like there's a lot of coaches that say this, but do this and I try really hard to not be that coach. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. No coach is, but I try my best to model who I want my players to be. And that also helps me develop mental toughness. And I tell them, Hey guys, I'm on the same journey as you are. It doesn't matter that I'm your coach and I'm a grown adult and you're a junior in high school. Like we're all on this journey. We're all on this, this challenge of finding our best selves. And it's not easy for me and it's not easy for you, but the more that we see ourselves struggling together, the more likely we are to stay on it, right. To stay on that journey, stay on that, that, that path. So that's where I feel like I help to develop that mental toughness is the challenge of the fact that I have, you know, 175 football players every year looking at me saying, Hey, you're telling me to be my best. Are you being your best coach Mertens? Yeah. And if I can't say yes to that, then everything I'm telling them is is a lie.
0: Totally. And I think leading by example is more powerful than just like delegating and just ordering kids around because, you know, as a young kid, like if some if some coach were to tell me like run an extra lap or something, but like they're out of shape themselves and they're not putting in the extra time themselves, I'm going to just instantly be resentful and not want to do it. But like, I remember you doing the morning workouts with us. And so like, okay, we're like these 17 year old kids. Like we should be in the tip top shape of our lives. Like we're all trying to become college athletes and we're complaining about doing bear crawls. Like our 45 year old coach is doing it with us at 6am. Like that gives you a little bit more inspiration than if you just said like, Moses, like, like do this better. If I see you doing it with me, like it's so much more inspiring.
1: Yeah. Well, first, let me tell you, this is the second time you threw out my age. You're ruining it for me. I tell people I'm 33, man. So uh, anyway, yeah. And I'll tell you what, it drives me nuts. I mean, uh, this is my third school where I'm a head coach and I have this conversation with my assistants all the time. Like, guys, you can't be the lazy coach. The overweight coach ordering people around saying hustle. Like, think about what that looks like. That's like me walking into school smoking a cigarette or a vape pen and telling kids not to vape. Like they're gonna be like, what the hell are you talking about? So I as I tell my coaches, you don't have to be in the best shape, but you have to at least show your players you're trying. They will appreciate that, right? Like they understand that you're older, they understand that you may be a little more out of shape. But if they see you at least trying, they're going to respect you a lot more. And when they respect you, they're going to like you. And when they like you, that's when they're gonna actually listen to your message.
0: Yeah, and they're gonna play harder too, as a side effect, because they're gonna to want to win, not just for themselves, but for you. Like I know going back to like our state championship game, like, yeah, it sucked to lose for ourselves, but it even it sucked even more to lose for you and for Coach Andreola and every other coach on the staff because I knew how much time and effort, like. I'm just thinking of all the coaches, Coach Brookholder, Coach Summers, like these guys sacrificed so much to put us in this spot. Like I wanted to win the game even more so for them than myself. Um, now looking back on it, like did losing that game actually impact my life? I don't, I don't know. But that's kind of what we're talking about. Like the wins and losses don't matter as much, the process of getting there.
1: Yeah. What you talked right there about service to others, like that's the most powerful thing we could give in this world, in my opinion. Right. So it's funny that you said that because when that last play on fourth down and OT did not go our way. And I just remember seeing you guys on your knees crying. And I just remember feeling like I completely let you guys down, you know, and I, I felt horrible. Like, I can't believe I let these kids down in this important moment. So the fact that you're saying that you were thinking the same way, like that's when, that's why we were there in the first place. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because of the talent of Jack Sanborn or Joey Stutzman, or does that matter? Of course definitely it hard. matters. Definitely right. Hard. I mean, yeah, right. It definitely, ha- there's no question. My point is like we weren't the most talented team in the state necessarily. Right. I mean, but when people start putting others before themselves, that's, when real special things happen in this world
0: totally totally i totally agree i think that's that's a great way to cap it off um i did want to ask one last question though. like this podcast is called modern mentorship um and i kind of want to start incorporating this into the episodes so who were some of the most important mentors in your life and who do you still look to for inspiration now
1: yeah, that's a really, really good question. I think uh, one person that had a major impact uh, in my life was my older brother. Uh, again, talk about the process. Uh, you've heard the story before. I mean, the the short version is my brother grew up on a South side of Chicago decides He's going to go to Harvard in eighth grade and everyone laughed and everyone criticized, and everyone mocked. Well, fast forward to now he has his undergrad and his MBA from Harvard. And that was despite the fact that nobody ever supported that and just watching his grit and his determination to go to a place that people from the South side of Chicago are told they're not supposed to go. And that's what he was told his whole life. So that really influenced me to understand the magnitude of you can do what you want to do in this life. And you can't let the externals impact you. And then from a a larger scope, Uh, my family. I mean, I'm very blessed to have the family that I have because, you know, my dad uh, doesn't have a college degree, was a Chicago copper, uh, ended up retiring from the police force and became a a restaurant entrepreneur and just seeing how hard he worked to be successful, but he did it all for us. And to this day, my dad's in his mid seventies and all he thinks about is how he could leave his legacy to us. And legacy to us is he just wants us to be able to not have to worry about money, right? He wants to contribute to his grandkids, college funds. And like all of those hours as an entrepreneur was just for his family, never for himself. You know, my mom was a single mom. My parents got divorced. I was in fourth grade. And you know, she too did not have all she had was a high school diploma. And she just figured out a way to go to work and work a job. Despite the fact that me and my brother were home alone, like we didn't have a nanny, we couldn't afford a nanny. Right. And both of my parents, despite the fact they were divorced, like the sacrifices they made to send us to Catholic school, even though I really couldn't afford it to this day, I don't even know how they afford it. So all those things really contributed to the grit, the determination, the work ethic that I like to think that is instilled in me uh, today, you know, and then as far as the, the professional world, I mean, I mentioned my teachers and coaches at St. At Pat's. Uh, it was it was a major impact on me. High school is a tough time, was especially tough on me for a multitude of reasons. But uh, my freshman coach, Coach Lucas, um, I mean, he was awesome. I mean, and he's what's really cool, Jack, is he probably was one of the most impactful coaches, uh, on me and my shaping of my life. And now he's on my staff, and no, it's just no. yeah, it's like talk about like worlds coming full circle. Like it's just so rewarding to me to see this, to have uh, such an influential person in my life to now be on the sidelines with me and hopefully impacting the young men on St. Pat's football team right now together is, is really, really cool. So yeah. Um, I've been, I've been really lucky. You know, a lot of us have a lot of, uh, bad in our lives and I could sit here and tell stories too about how the struggles I had, but if we focus our feed on the positives, I had a lot of positives in life too. And it was all those that mentorship around me that helped me become the person I am today.
0: That's awesome. That is really cool to hear. Those people who sacrifice for us in the moment, you probably don't appreciate it as much as you should. But when you look back, it, it's unbelievable. I have the same experience with my parents, grandparents, especially coaches and teachers. Like when you're in the moment, you don't really appreciate it. But when it's gone, then you look back and see how it formed and shaped you. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. This was, again, a really fun conversation. Um, we'll have to let each other know when we're going to upload these episodes, but hopefully not too far from now.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for having us on, and uh, keep, keep spreading the good word. You're doing great work, and I'm really looking forward to following your success through Northwestern and keep climbing into the future, and maybe you will be the next Joe Rogan, buddy.
0: No, I'm. I'm just trying to be the next me. That's all I'm trying to do. Good, great response. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, coach. This is awesome. I appreciate it. Take care, man.